Here we go. So, today is the last of our sermons in this present series of Living in Community. And today we're going to be looking, like Gary said, uh, Ephesians 5, um, roughly around verses 15 through 20, and kind of the theme, the title for today is Filled with the Spirit. Okay? This passage, it starts off with um, Paul giving us an exhortation to be careful how we live. Okay, he says, be careful how you live. Don't, don't live as unwise people, but as someone who is wise, who makes the most of their time because the days are evil. Okay? So to be wise. What is it to be wise? Well, it's to have experience, to have knowledge, to have good judgment. Okay, to act wisely is to act sensibly. Uh, to be shrewd. And of course, let's not forget that if we are thinking about uh, being wise, we can be wise in our approach. Okay, in the approach to others, to what they say, to how they act. And that's being alert. That's being aware of the positives and the negatives that will come from an action that we might take or an action that someone else is taking that will affect us or is on our behalf. So being unwise then is to not have those things. To be unwise is to lack knowledge, is to have poor judgment, to be unaware unalert, to be the opposite of shrewd, because I can't think off the top of my head what that is, so I just said the opposite of shrewd, <laughs> and to be unsensible, unshrewd just didn't sound right in my head, okay, someone can tell me afterwards, put it in the comments, you, you English professors out there, and tell this Englishman how to speak English, okay, see we are here as we've already spoken about, and as we've spoken about in this series the last few weeks, we are here to live into our calling. And what is our calling? Our calling is to live in the hope. Live in the hope that we have from being in Christ. Okay? That's what walking a life of faith is. Okay? And so when Paul calls us to be wise... And when we unpack what being wise is, using all of those examples that I've already gone through, they all link to what it is to walk in Christ. Okay? Last week, we had Karen uh, speaking for us as we went from my home, as we were working on the sanctuary, which doesn't, do you think it looks good? Right? It looks great. Those of you at home who can't see it, uh, we'll try and get some pictures today and put them up on Facebook uh, for you to be able to see some of what it's looking like now. But um, Karen told us to live as a family of truth-tellers, if you remember. That it's important that we 
hold on to the truth. And that's really important when we think about what it is to be wise, to walk in wisdom. Because learning to walk in wisdom is about learning to walk in the truth. Okay? Having good judgment is drawing on the truth to make those judgments. Without the truth, being sensible isn't that easy. Unless you choose to be non-sensible, like I do with my kids, okay? Like many of you men will do on many occasions, because that's what men do. We choose to be unsensible, because it's fun. Women, if you choose to be unsensible, that's fine. I just haven't met many that choose to be unsensible as much as I do. So that's why I picked on the men. Um, We've got to be honest with ourselves, like I was just there honest with you about myself. Uh, We've got to be honest with each other. We've got to be honest with God. This is what Karen was drawing at last week. Why do these things matter so much? Because if we lie to ourselves, if we lie to others, if we lie to God, what are we doing? We're destroying relationship. That's all that lies do. They destroy relationship. And if you think about it, why do people tell lies? Well, people tell lies to get out of the consequences. Whether that's a positive consequence, a negative consequence, whether it's perceived or it's real, um, whether it's harsh, minor, whether it's severe. And you think about the consequence becomes more severe the more you have to bury a lie with more lies. All because you came up with that lie to start with for whatever reason. Okay, it was to get rid of the consequence. I think when I was a kid, um, my dad would punish us if we did something wrong. But if we lied about it, we didn't only get punished for the thing that we did wrong, we got punished for the lie. And I remember one instance that uh, from school, my, my dad got a phone call. What, what, what? Oh, okay. I'm not going into too many details, but it involved a teacher hearing something that one of us kids had said. And when she asked us what she'd said, we repeated it to her face. <laughs> and so my dad's like, ah, what do I do here? Do I punish him for telling the truth? What, what message am I sending? See, we were taught not to lie, so we didn't lie, but we still needed to be punished for the thing that we did that was wrong. Okay, and learning that as you go is important because lies have consequences. Even though we give a lie to sort of say, to get out of the consequence, you've got building more consequences because of the lie, which is why you cover it up with more lies and with more lies. So when it comes to God and our relationship with him, it's not easy to lie, let's be honest. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows the truth. He knows exactly what you did exactly when you did it, and exactly why you chose to do it. Okay? So what does lying to him benefit you? 
It doesn't. It just destroys relationship. That's all it does. And in fact, when it comes to us lying to God, again, it's to get out of the consequence. And what's the consequence usually when it comes to a lie that we want to tell God? Well, it's usually to do with sin, isn't it? And sin, which Paul tells us, the wages of which are death, then lying to ourselves, to our neighbors, to God, what does it do? It does nothing but destroy relationship and give power to the enemy. Okay? We are living in the days of evil, the days that are evil. That's what Paul says in this passage. And this is what he's getting at. We want to give power to the enemy, then we hold ourselves in a lie so that we don't have to deal with the consequence. You see, if sin is not named, it cannot be confessed. And if sin cannot be confessed, or is not confessed, then it will not, it cannot be forgiven. And if sin isn't forgiven, well, then sin is not forgiven. And that's important for all of us to really hold on to. If we lie to the point where we are not confessing our sins, if we are not naming them, then they are not forgiven. If you don't confess your sin to God, he's not going to forgive it because you've not confessed it. And that's what we're told in Scripture. Confess. And we draw on it um, last week a little bit, talking about James and confess your sins to one another. Yeah? It's what we're called to do. It's how we draw on forgiveness. Walking as an unwise person is linked to foolishness in this passage that Paul writes. And it's the very thing which Paul tells us in then verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Okay? Understand the will of the Lord. And that connects, those words connect with everything that I've just said. Because what is the will of the Lord? The will of the Lord is reconciliation. The will of the Lord is to be reconciled to his whole people. And how can one be reconciled to God if we do not, in fact, then come to him and confess our sins? That is what Paul is talking about when he pens, the days are evil. The days are evil. Evil is perverse. Evil's not going to give up. It's not because it doesn't realize that it's fighting a losing battle. but it should cause us to have an urgency to push on and push into and push to step up and live a life which is worthy of that calling to which we have been called. Because that is only way, that is the only way in which we can defeat evil. See, in not confessing our sin, we allow sin We allow the evil that is connected with that sin 
to hold power over us. And that, I'm going to be honest, that makes my heart ache. Because I believe wholeheartedly that personal confession was given as a gift to the church. That personal confession isn't some um, borrowed thing from the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, there might not be a confessional at the back for you to go in and say, bless me because I've sinned, okay? And I'm not taking anything away from that because I think that's one of the things the Catholic Church do very, very well. But it's not something we're used to. It's not something that many of you maybe even have thought about. Okay? There's a lot of disdain even within the church about personal confession. But like I said, James wrote, confess your sins to one another. That's the will of the Lord. That's how we are reconciled with him as he wants to be reconciled with all of his creation. Okay, you might know. I have a, an upbringing in, in the Anglican church. Okay, and when I went to seminary, my, my thesis was written on personal confession. And it was written um, asking the question of, is it a gift to the church, or is it a lost concept? Okay? And I came away from that firmly believing it is a gift to the church. Okay? Cramner himself placed a lot of weight on personal confession. Okay? In the Anglican Church, it is one of five commonly called sacraments. Not one of the two instituted by Christ in, in Holy Communion and Holy Baptism, but one of five commonly called sacraments. Things which are still classed as being important, but not on that same level as baptism and Holy Communion. And Luther himself toyed with the idea of making confession the th a third sacrament of the Lutheran Church. And if you look in an LBW at any point, you'll see that there is a right in there for you at any point to go in and have personal confession, and be reminded of the forgiveness which Christ speaks over you when you having had that time of confession. So walking in wisdom, as well as all those things that I mentioned at the beginning, is primarily for us walking away from sin. We learn from experience. We learn to have better judgment. We learn to be more aware and more alert of the things that maybe help lead us in to sin. Or the places where we feel more tempted. Where we can then act more sensibly because of all of that. But this comes from the mistakes that we know we have made, doesn't it? How do we learn? Well, we learn better when we make mistakes. And when it comes to sin, we've all sinned. We all continue to sin and let's not fool ourselves. But the idea of repentance, 
of coming in true confession and repentance is that we're not saying, I'm sorry for doing it, but we are sorry for doing it, whatever it was. We're also saying, I'm going to try my darndest to not do it again. Okay? Now, we all may struggle sometimes with different things where we get into a, a web which it's hard to pull ourselves out of and not repeat ourselves again and again. But we've got to want to want to not sin. Okay? Sometimes falling into sin is what we're going to do. It's going to happen. But we've got to want to want to not. And that's the heart. That's what God's after. That's where true reconciliation can come in. And how do we do this? How do we, how do we put ourselves in a position to get the best, to be successful at this very calling? There's only one thing that can fill your heart. There's only one thing that can cure the pain that you may have. There's only one thing that can provide peace and joy where maybe in this world there's hostility or there's turmoil. There's only one thing. And that's the answer that's the answer to every question in church. Jesus. Right? He is the only way. People all over the world, okay, they try to find sometimes other things to take that place. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do it too sometimes. We do it too. It's all too easy I'm going to say this. It's all too easy for us to make an idol. But once we've made it, it's a lot harder for us to make that idol fall. Okay? Work. Drink. Sports. Sex. All of these things can consume us. All of these things can get at us and lead us to destruction of relationship. And that's just to name a few. Okay? But these things are not bad. These things are not bad. But if we give them more weight than they deserve, or we... If we give them more weight than they deserve... If we give them more weight and they become elevated over and above God, if we use them outside of the constraints which God has given us them to be enjoyed in, then we're just destroying relationship. We're destroying relationship with others who we love. We're destroying relationship with God as we allow ourselves to put other things over and above him. And Paul, he goes on here in that passage that we heard to write and instruct that we are not to get drunk on wine because this is debauchery. Okay, that's, that's maybe excessive indulgence, another way of saying that. And other translations would use the word uh, dissipation. Okay? Um, so a descent or a deterioration. My best, my best way of, of defining this, and I feel the best biblical word we could think of, is a fall. 
It's a fall. You know, we go back to Genesis and we talk about the fall. You know, let's not kid ourselves. We have a fall. (laughs) You know, we might fall every day. But how do we respond to that fall? If we allow ourselves to get drunk, for example, to get high, to engage in activity which might lift our spirit in a temporary way, for a temporary time, what's going to happen after that? Well, after a high, there's always a crash. There's always a fall. Okay? The only way to cover, to recover from that fall, the only way is true confession. True confession. But like I've said, confession, it's not just saying sorry. It's about repentance. And repentance is about committing to a willingness, a willingness to accept that you will attempt again and again and again to not do that which you did that caused you to fall. Because you don't want to be in that same place again. And that brings us back to being wise, to being unwise, and knowing the will of God and being foolish. What does Paul tell us that we should do instead of getting drunk? On wine, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And as we're doing so, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay, this contrast between drunkenness of alcohol and being filled with the Spirit is really important for us to grasp. Really important. As I mentioned, we're all guilty of making mistakes. We're all guilty of making idols of things that might lead us to abuse them, to seek solace in them, or, or search for that good feeling, to experience that high that it might bring. Okay? Don't get me wrong, it's amazing when my soccer team win. Okay? It's a true high, it is. They didn't win today. They didn't. Does that mean that I'm going to be super low? No. Some years ago when I was a kid, maybe. Um, But not now. Because I know what's more important than my soccer team. That high that that we get, either from the sports team winning or from consuming a little bit too much to drink or, or eat even. Does it ever work? It might work, like I said, temporarily. It might, but it never has a long-term benefit. It never fulfills. Because that hole that I spoke of before, that hole in the heart, or, or that cure for pain, or, or that peace and that joy, it can only be found in Christ. You try filling it with anything else at any time. You know, and if like me, you've been there and you've tried. Okay? But nothing fits perfectly. Okay? Nothing fits You might kind of shove something in there and make it reshape. 
but it's not going to stay. Or it's going to be like that science experiment, I remember, with all of those balls in a jar, and there's still space for other things. You know? If you get Jesus in there, there's no space for anything else. Or at least there shouldn't be space for anything else. Being filled with the Spirit is a high like no other. If you want to think of it like that. It leads us to have an ability. An ability to do some of the things that Paul talks about. An ability to, um, to sing a melody whenever and wherever we are. Okay? I love that I can be, I don't know, I can be at the grocery store. I can be having my hair cut. I can be driving my car down the, um, the, the highway. <laughs> I had to think of what word to say. I was going to say Autobahn. And I was like, no, that's not the right one. Wrong country. Um, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we have the experience to worship. Why do we have that experience? Why do we have that ability? We have that ability from the experience that we have. We draw on past experiences. We learn from good practice. We get better knowledge from having lived it so that we can live it again and keep living it. Because remember, as we walk through life, as we walk through life, we're called to live into the calling which we have all received. To live into the hope which is only there in Christ. And this series, we have been reminded time and time and time again that as we're called to be in Christ, as a result of our being in Christ, Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit gets to take up his home as we walk life together, as we journey with our brothers and our sisters, those who are sat alongside you, those whom you know that attend other churches. As we journey with them, it's not about squabbling over who's got more of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? That's the wrong way to look at things. The question isn't who's got more of the Holy Spirit. The question is how much of you has the Holy Spirit got? Yeah? Because the Holy Spirit leads us in a direction. It leads us to keep going in the way of Wisdom. When we flip things that way and we ask, how much of the Spirit have I given myself? Then it should help us to fully understand what a disciple is. What it is to be a disciple. And to be a disciple is to step in to a journey of choosing to lose. We've got to lose, just like my soccer team did today. We've got to lose our own agenda. We've got to lose our own ideas. We've got to lose the thoughts that we have that define us. Why? Because we need to follow his agenda. We need to understand his will. And we need to know ourselves as beloved children of God. 
And when we do this, when we step into a life that chooses to lose, we step into a life that chooses to accept that the, that the Holy Spirit is in us, that we need to let him have more and more of us. I'm reminded of, of John the Baptist, more of you, Lord, less of me. When we have that attitude, then we can truly at all times, not just on occasions, but at all times and in all places, make a melody to the Lord in our hearts and we can give full thanks and praise to him. That is what Paul's talking about. That's the message for today. The Spirit is on the move. And he wants, he wants to take up residence in your life. Okay? He doesn't, he doesn't want you to just give him the attic or the basement. He wants to take up residence. He wants ownership. He wants ownership. And I ask, are you ready to give that to him? And let me tell you and remind you, we've talked a little bit about being truthful with ourselves today. So I don't actually expect you to say yes fully. But do dwell on the message. Pray about the things that you can give, the places you are ready to hand over to him as you start to give him more and more of your life, as you maybe um, write a new uh, landlord agreement and say, all right, you're getting an extra couple of rooms now. Because <laughs> together, we can help each other in that. Together, we are the body of Christ. We've been looking at this living in community, okay? How we draw on each other. How if we are going to function like the church, we need to function in the gifts that we've been given, in the apportionment of grace that we have received, so that the body resembles the head. And how best for the body to resemble the head than for the body to push into reconciliation, for the body to teach reconciliation, for the body to live reconciliation with each other and with the Father. Together, we need to watch each other's back. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be singing together. But most importantly, we need to let the Spirit lead us, guide us, and equip us for the journey that's ahead. The journey of choosing to lose because the less of us, the more of Him. The more of Him, the better positioned we are the better knowledge we can draw on, the better judgment we have to not put ourselves in harm's way. And if we do, for any reason fall, we learn that the only response is to come to him in confession so that we are able to be forgiven. Because if we don't confess, if we don't name our sin, we don't receive 
forgiveness. You are only forgiven your sins when you bring them to the Father. But once you've done it, you don't need to do it again. So don't get caught in that web either. Okay? That's another trick the enemy want to throw on you. Are you sure you've been forgiven? Are you sure? I'm sure you've all kind of heard that whisper in your ear before. Because when you bring it to God a second time, he's like, wait, what? What? Where's that? I've already scribbled that out. Okay? It's been done. It's finished. It's forgiven. But come in confession. Lay your life on the line. Empty yourself so that you can be filled afresh with the Spirit today. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you this morning. We just want more of you. But we know that that's not an easy thing for us because we actually like being in control. We like ourselves too much, maybe. We like the way that we live. We like the choices that we can make. But we know, Lord, for you, you've given us the choice to choose yes or no. But it is that black and white. It is yes or it is no. So as we step in today to reaffirm our following you, let us know. Let us hold on to, let us be strengthened in the fact that when we say we follow you, it isn't a statement of now. It isn't a statement of, of, of then. It is a statement of going forward, of forever, of continuing to follow. So we don't just sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. We sing, I have decided to keep following Jesus. So I pray for strength. I pray for wisdom. And I pray for light. As all of us, here in person and online, step out and into a new life of choosing to follow you and keep following you. In Jesus' name.